Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Coltside Radio's Late Night Movie. Enjoy as your two glorious hosts, Carl Kafer and Stephen M. Ronquillo, bring you the best in cinematic quality and rarity and lost gems that you should see more. So, let's get this show started. And tonight, Feature is... You are about to journey beyond fear, beyond terror, in a major motion picture so frightening, it will devastate you totally. The Brood, David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror. They're waiting for you. Friday at a Canadian Odeon Theater near you. Hello, everybody, and Carl, was that another what we call a no-bullshit trailer? <sighs> that would be a yay, without a doubt. Especially when it says it will devastate you totally. Yeah. And, yeah, it does. This is a devastating film. Maybe not the best thing to do right now considering what's going on on most of the country but nonetheless uh i'm 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 up for it not not a problem well it's the only criterion i think they have on a criterion we're testing this is really a test episode for next month we're doing the criteria for film thank you the Criterion Channel for putting this up so we could have these so easily. And it's what I call the Criterion Megamix. Two of these films are going to have Vicky Love on it. One of them hopefully will have Tony Strauss, and the other one we'll see. So right now I'll we're going somebody. to play... What, what Mr. Caver? I'll get somebody for that fourth one. Don't worry about it. I'll find someone for that one. Okay. And right now we have an exclusive promo that I made today for it, highlighting all four films that we're doing next month. Now, get to it, Carl. Get ready. I'm ready. So here it is, the official unveiling of next month's Criterion Mega Month on the KSDAD, I mean, Coltside Radio Late Night Movie. And Here we go. Folks, me and my friends are going to put on a little Wild West show for you. Some of you might have heard about it. Oh, the holdup. Thank you. 
gold, huh? You tell your emperor, I thank him. Gosh has a two-hour head start, and he's got 20 mean guns to back him up. Al, even if I do catch up with him, the trouble just begins. Silence! Each of these dots represents a day. I have given him seven days to recover the Mikado's sword. In seven days, I will pass here again the same train. Suppose he doesn't make it in seven days. For the disgrace of failure, he will rip his abdomen. Well, that's something I'd like to see. You might as well do it now, because I'm not taking it. Like it, they don't like it. 
Life, I love you. Maybe that means I don't love him. All is Nobody's going to tell me I don't like him very much. Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, Goldie Hawn, Lee Grant, Jack Warden, Tony Bill, Shampoo. And third will be... Warner Brothers presents performance with Mick Jagger. And Mick Jagger. James Fox. And James Fox. This is a film about madness. No soap on the gentleman's collar. Madness and sanity. A film about fantasy. How much did you give him? Two-thirds of the big one. No, that's insane. The old man was called in the language of Persia. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm normal. <laughs> of David Bowie, one of the few true originals of our time. You're really a freak. I don't mean that unkindly. I like freaks. 
Is this a weapon? A weapon? Well, it's too small for interplanetary travel. Assume that it's a weapon. If I stay here, I shall die. Why me? Take me with you. I'll see you don't die. I can't stay. You're an alien! I think you know... You know too much about me. Where are you taking me? He's just like everybody else. He's... he's... he's a fake. Please don't do it. You don't understand. You might be able to save him. Mary Lou! Save him? Help me! From what? love story, a cosmic mystery, a spectacular fantasy, a shocking, mind-stretching experience in sight, in space, in sex. Jack Warden, 
set on uh, 1968 day of uh, uh, election day, and it is a very, very acerbic, funny, and ultimately tragic comedy. And it's a wonderful film. And that would be Shampoo, directed by Hal Ashby. And I think that's 1975, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Stephen, you got two of them And the first one I picked is the last one. It's uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth by Nicholas Rogue. One, it's one of the best sci-fi movies of the 70s. And good God, did that trailer's music not fit the movie, did it? Well, you know what that trailer's music is. You know what it is. What? It's the uh, it's from a suite called The Planets by Gustav Holst. That's called yeah. Mars. Okay. So so yeah, go ahead. But what I'm but saying yes, is that the trailer is loud and brash, and the movie is a very quiet, contemplative movie. Yes. Agreed. And sadly, we didn't get this version. We're going to watch the uncut version until about the late 80s. They cut it to ribbons. This is another one they cut into ribbons in America because they didn't understand it, how it's slow pacing and all that. This has mm-hmm. career high performances from Buck Henry, Rip Torn. Uh, this was David Boyd's debut, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I do believe it was. And don't forget Candy Clark, who's absolutely... Oh, yeah, and Candy Clark, film. definitely. Well, Candy Clark is the soul of the film as we're going to watch, see as we watch. Mm-hmm. And it was directed by... Well, I'll say who the director is at the end, because both of my films are connected. And next and last is The Bastard Child of Two of the Best Directors of the 70s and 80s, wouldn't you say, Carl? I would agree. Unfortunately, one of those directors uh, had a shortened career, which is unfortunate. But go ahead. Yeah. And that would be performance, which is a whole film about duality. Gay, straight, uh, hippie, normal, gangster, law-abiding citizen. It's about James Fox who has to hide out because he crosses his boss and he ends up in uh, Mick Jagger's character, Turner's house. And this is less a movie than just a pro- an experience. I would agree, and, and I'm not advocating certain drug use, but uh, you might consider it. Yeah. And this really was the high, this was the cultivator of everything that Donald Kamel was doing up to that time, which was uh, the Touchables, Duffy, and then this one, which was co-directed and co-written, I forget, I'd have to dig out that BFI book I got by, Nicholas Rogue. So yes, I picked two Nicholas Rogue films. And this is a great store by the Rolling Stones. I mean, yeah, this is a Rolling Stones score, wasn't it, Carl? Uh, well, did you notice during? Do you know? Did you hear the guitar during the the uh, during the trailer of that? 
Yeah, Ry Cooter ripped off a lot of what uh, Keith Richards did on that movie soundtrack. Well, well, no, <laughs> that was Ry Cooter. <laughs> that was not Keith. Richards. I know. Right. As soon as I seen who did the score, I'm like, God damn! You cannot talk five. You only got five minutes to talk about the band, Carl. Or else that you'll spend the whole movie talking about them. Yeah, that's true. I'll, 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 <laughs> when we do it, I'll make sure I only do five minutes. <laughs> I swear. But yeah, I mean, uh, how much of a supergroup really is that? Randy Newman, Mick Jagger, Ry Cooter, and who's the other one? Uh, Ry Cooter and um, and it was uh, 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 Ron Wood. Now we'll look it up before we do it. Yeah, I think it was Ron Wood. Uh but there's a uh yeah. there's an album uh that that is all the the music from that. It's called Jammin' with Edward. Okay, and that is the music from performance from that wasn't used in the movie, but they jammed it out. And you want to yeah. if you if you can find that or you can actually that's on YouTube. Jammin' with Edward. Uh check that out. And Seriously. yes, we're doing, and this is three from their 70s style collection, which is coming out on April the 5th. Which, hell, me and Carl could probably just do that whole list, couldn't we? Oh, hell yeah. And then the one, the Red Sun, is from their Toshiro Mapuni list. 100 Years of Mapuni, and there's so much there you need to watch if you haven't. If you only know him for the Seven Samurai. There's so much you need to watch. Like, you don't oh, know how tempted I was, Carl, to do uh, Zatoichi versus uh, uh, yeah, Sanjuro. film. Just say that. I forget who it is. But, yeah. Oh, absolutely. For me, it would be Roshoman, too. Uh, but they have a wonderful list yeah. of... Uh, well, that one's uh, already uh, up. Uh, I definitely want to yeah, do that they- sometime. Yeah. But but they have a wonderful list of Mifune, uh, uh star, starring films. You want to check that out too, and that's where Red Sun comes from. And now Alrighty we're going to get into, yeah, we're going to get into yeah, our I'm, main film, which is the only film that Cronenberg won't talk about, won't do a. Commentary for, but nope. when you throw, when you throw a big jagged wound on the screen, why in the name of fuck? God, do you want to talk would about? Would you want to open that bad boy back up? Yeah, this was written and filmed while he while Cronenberg was in a very nasty. Uh, child custody fit, uh, uh, um, uh, fight with his ex-wife. And you will see that pain on screen, and it's not pretty. This is not a pretty film. It is not uh, a happy film, and it's pretty devastating. This is a devastating film. This is not the film you usually hear his fans talk about in happy tones. You'll hear him talk about shivers, oh, by DVD, or rabid. Mm-hmm. But not this one. Nope. I remember seeing this 
uh, was a friend of mine was Norman, uh, and and I came out of this. We both came out of the theater shell shell. Seriously, shell shell. Yeah, this one's rough, kids. And you seen the R rated cut, didn't you? Yeah, we saw the R rated. Absolutely. We'll point out what they cut out, and my, one of the biggest things they cut out is very weird because I've only seen the unrated cut because luckily I caught it on VHS and that, and every since it did VHS, it's been Cronenberg's approved cut. Mm-hmm. And without this one moment in the movie, I would be like, what? But, yeah, it's easier to look it up with uh, just that. Well, look it up, and you'll be able to find the Brood Criterion Collection. That means you'll get the little documentaries, and you'll also get Crimes of the Century. Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future, which is another great one of his about a missing parent. But we'll get into that once we get into the movie, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we are at the opening movie card, which is Pierre David and Victor Solnicki. Am I saying it right, Mr. I know all the names. Yeah. I am perfect. We know that. <laughs> no, that's how you Sorry, are when it comes to pronunciation. Yeah, that's true. So here we go. You want to count it down, Stephen? Yeah. Hit play in five, four, three, two, one, go. You notice that almost all Cronenberg films have this musical theme to it like this with the strings. More than any other instrument. Well, one of the things, too, is look who who does the score to this. I'm pretty positive this was Howard Shore's first score for him. Um, And Howard Shore has worked with him constantly for, for a number of years. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that he just loves that strings for his opening. Howard Shore, yeah. He loves his strings for his opening. Yeah, I agree. And wasn't this the last film that he did with Art Hendel? Yeah. This was the last film with Art Hendel. And there is Oliver Reed. And this is Psychoplasmatics, which is based on a combination of EST and Primal Scream Therapy. So what is EST? EST is a bizarre cult-like thing in the mid-70s where they would take you into a room, take off your watch, you couldn't talk to nobody, you couldn't say anything, you couldn't leave the room. And you couldn't say a word until they put the microphone next to your mouth, and you could say whatever you want, and it's supposed to get into the deep, dark part of you and cleanse you. But how close does that sound like brainwashing techniques, Carl? Oh, absolutely. It would 
the sessions would only be for 9 p.m. to about 2 a.m. in the morning or whenever it ended. And you had to give up 200% control to the person in charge of you, which is really what the basis of this session is right here. And how great is Oliver Reed right here? Oh, my God. And since you went through it, tell the audience a little bit, what is primal scream therapy, Carl? And how does it relate to this thing? And I I joke about it a little bit, but I've actually done where you get so frustrated and so angry at the situation at yourself, what you do you go to a place where nobody is and you scream your heart out at the top of your lungs. And it's a release of all that tension. And trust me, I did it at work a couple of times. There was a place uh, behind the building which was uh, a little creek was there and, 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 that, and I'd go down there and I'd do it. And in this Instead of metaphorical scars on your body of what happened to you in childhood, which prime, the full primal screen therapy experience is supposed to show, this takes form in the shape of swords. Representing really the scars of every the damage that's been done to you throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And how how is it that change in Oliver Reed just for one moment, uh, masculinely, verbally destroying him to this, where he's the loving father figure? Yeah. This... Both of these were a big thing in the 70s. Well, another thing I, I need to bring out here is, is in Cronenberg's early films, you know, they talk about body horror, but really what this is and what he does in his first three, four films, it's the body in revolt. Body changes and you have no control over. And it brings out welts and lesions, and you'll see what happens here. And, and, and that's true of shivers. That's true of scanners. That's true of video drug. It's all about the body and revolt. Now, he changes later into more pure psychological damage and, and forgoes yeah. the body horror. But this is in that period of time. And really... This is the same building where on the on the on the college campus where Cronenberg filmed the uh, Crimes of the Future. Right. And here is the and real victim girl, of this movie. And this little girl is fantastic. She really is good. You can already see the damage being done to her. 
soma-free. What is soma-free? What's the word soma mean, Carl? Do you know what? I was just about to look that up. Yeah, look it up. sure. That's important. Okay. It'll take me a second here. Hold on. Parts of an organism other than the reproductive cells. The body is distinct from the soul, mind, or psyche. Right. And time for us to give a little shout-out to uh, Sporky, because what was one of the bands that she picked out on her show? Uh, I know. I can't remember. Wendy O'Williams, what band was she in? The Plasmatics, of course. And they took their name from this movie, Psycho Plasmatics. And Oliver Reed is the representation of the father who whose children has gone beyond his control and he's still too naive to realize it. Right. Representative in shivers by the old man who killed himself after unleashing the parasites. Exactly. And in rabid by the people who ran the Kelloy Clinic. Exactly. And here... Why do you think uh, Cronenberg... That's one of his one of his biggest obsessions is the absentee father or the blind father who doesn't realize what his actions are doing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and and in this one, he's ultimately really hard on himself. If you you think that that Cronenberg um, going through what he's doing, what what this movie portrays, and this is the uh, child custody. He definitely uh, uh, looks at him as Art Hindle, and Art Hindle does not do this right. Yeah. And he said that he based uh, a lot of this theory of his about that St. Father on uh, a line from Oppenheimer when he first seen the atomic bomb. Yes, I've read that, actually. Yeah, which is, we are Shiva, bringer of death. Yep. Why do you think that's always been an obsession with him since his first film, that of someone who creates something that devastatingly gets out of his control and ends up ultimately destroying him? Well, that that's, that's very true. And, and, and even when he shifts into pure psychological... It, it's the person that's psychologically damaged destroys himself. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, such a wonderful, you know, I mean, this is a really, really, you know, one of the reasons. Oh, and that, look in the background. Was, one of the best books about Cronenberg was Jacob based Ray. on that poster. Yep. The title of it. I have that book. 
Great book. Yeah, The Shape of Rage. This scene is really one of the scenes where Cronenberg's frustration about the situation is coming out. Oh, absolutely. Look, he's even got Cronenberg's fucking hairdo. All he needs is the guy. Yeah, I know. And Cronenberg has always said this is unintentional, but I've never really bought that. That there's always yeah. one moment in his movies where the hero turns into Cronenberg. Yeah. Like when uh, James Woods puts on the glasses in Videodrome. Right. He don't get enough credit for his performance in this movie. What, Hindu or, or the other guy? The other guy. Okay, because I'm looking for him right now. He has to play such right a one-note performance in this, which is pure anger and frustration and confusion and not knowing what's going on. Because look how small he makes him look in this shot. Right. Now that was Larry Solway as the lawyer. Larry Solway. Egg chart. <laughs> and if you know about the ending, that's. See, look. If you, there's a hint towards the ending right there, Carl. Yep, there is. And even right here, it shows him distant and in the foreground. It's all focused on her, not him. Right. So you could say, if you was wanting to get Freudian or psychological, that Cronenberg felt isolated in his own kids' lives. Yep. And again, right here, what do you think about folks? Yeah. We got the major conversation going on in the background, but what are we focused on? On, 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 uh, The little girl. Of course. Right. That's another peep thing to, when people hear about how nasty this film are, and they come in about how quiet the first of this movie is, and it is. Mm-hmm. Because isn't that Cronenberg style, the boulder going downhill from a pebble to a boulder? Absolutely. Oh, 
I love it. As soon as she says she's been doubting it's hard bowed in nostalgia, it shows her looking through the pictures. And isn't this the best I've ever seen? This I've never seen a movie look this good. Well, this looks absolutely beautiful. And it looks like film, too. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And you notice what she's doing right there. She's drinking, for one. That's part of the problem. Right. That's a major trouble sign in this movie. Mm -hmm. And how hard must that had have been to get a whole film where you have to intentionally frame Samantha Egger from the waist up but not call attention to it. Yep. You know, the other thing, too, is look at the color thing. It's all these reds. The color of blood. Well, look at the robe, period. Did he ever use a robe like that again? Just take off the sweater neck? No. Did he ever use that motif again of that big flowing red robe? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dead ringers, the surgical did. outfit. Absolutely dead ringers. God, Edgar has never been as good as she's been in this movie. You know, okay, so the interesting thing is, what do we know Samantha Egger from? You know, to be honest, this is the only movie that I connect her with. Now, I'm, I know she was in The Collector. Yeah. She was in uh, James Bond, of course. This really was her last hurrah as an actor. She was a a big enjoying in the 60s, but... Ingenue, by the way. Ingenue. Ingenue. See? Told you. And I love even she's surrounded by pictures. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was in the seven percent solution. Yeah. Okay. Molly McGuire. There's not a scene in this movie where Grandma doesn't have a drink in her hand. Uh, there isn't. And did you notice that? I wonder if. He had Edgar and uh, the little girl do the picture of the grandma and uh I would not be surprised. Uh oh. Uh oh. What the fuck? Assholes! What the fuck? How the hell do you kick this? Oh, never mind. I thought they kicked the same jug of milk out. 
See, look, she got half a glass. She's like, I'm going to freshen up the motherfucking drink. And I love how invisible they are. Yeah. It makes me wonder, who are the real monsters in this movie? Well, that's the whole point of it. Wendy's! Ritz crackers! crackers. Honey! This is... AIP distributed the first three films of Cronenberg... And this is the only one where I think their ad campaign, they got spot on. Yeah. And why is it in 90% of the films of the six, late 60s and 70s, there's always J&B Scotch? That's is there a reason? Right. Any movies that wanted to use booze, J&B Scotch would let them use their brand if they would prominently feature it on film. Ooh. This is brutal. And I don't think that was in the R-rated cut, was it? What? That full tilt murder. Oh, yeah, it was. No. Oh, God. And there's another brutal thing about this movie is that every murder in the film, she's a witness to. That's that's the biggest, worst thing done to her in this film is that she's there to bear witness. Well, this is all about the cycle of abuse, and you'll get that by the end of this movie. Yeah, sins of the father, sins of the mother. And like you said, Cronenberg doesn't let himself off the hook either. No, he doesn't. He knows it's just as much his fault as it is. And he doesn't. He doesn't leave it uh, off. Harvest Restorations. Okay, now we're going to get... Harvest creates. Yeah. What is the name of the other Frank in Cronenberg's uh, filmography that in a movie not close 
close to come out to this. Remind me. We go from Frank Carvis to Frank Convex. Yep. He's a carpenter, so he carves stuff. Uh-huh. The other one makes glasses, so... But it's not, it's not Frank. It's, it's Barry Convex. Not Frank. Well, still, you know what I mean. Yeah, Why I... Why does he yeah. like that? The one, like, putting their jobs into their names. He, he's done that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you think that's a subtle joke on his part? Probably. Is this really the last of his Canadian films before he went to the U.S.? Oh, no, 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 no. Nope, because uh, um, uh, Videodrome was definitely shot and, and, and financed. Canadian yeah. It was, but it take but it took nope. place in the U.S. You know, well, you know what I mean. Two hundred percent Canadian. I just don't know how much uh, Scanners was a Canadian production. Oh, they were all Canadian productions. Um, now I'm looking at Art Hindle. Mm-hmm. Art Art did a lot of work with him, but he he didn't. He didn't do a lot over over. The, he didn't really transfer to the American screen that much. It was more Canadian with art. Yeah. Courage. Oh, wow. um, he's doing lots of work on Canadian TV. Tons of it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him on a lot of TV. That's how I knew him when I seen him, and they were within. Came from within. Mm-hmm. Right. He was in Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, several TV shows, The Blue Knight, Kingston Confidential. Uh, he uh, had a smaller role in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the Philip Kaufman version. Uh, the Brood, The Octagon, Porky's, Porky's 2. All Canadian productions. Absolutely. And look how the chocolate looks on her face. Oh, absolutely. Oh, man. If you're not feeling for this little girl, she's God. Isn't it funny for someone who is so clinical and likes to look at his subjects in his movies through a microscope... He's one of the most humanistic directors you can run into. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is beautiful. And, and, and you know, Art Hindle tries to do the right thing, and in many ways he does, but he just doesn't grasp the whole situation. And nobody does. Uh, it's hard to do the right thing when you don't know the... Full situation. Mm-hmm. See, right there, he missed a very, you know. 
And that part from EST, they keep you in isolation from everybody except your pain. Right. And that's never a good thing. No. And you notice he always shows up after he needs to? Yep. And Cronenberg has said he enjoyed working with Oliver Reed. And the Oliver Reed story for this movie is he was arrested going down the streets of downtown Ontario drunk and naked. Well, downtown Toronto. Ontario is the province. Toronto is the Toronto. And I would guess that would be Young Street. (laughs) (laughs) Either way... Oliver Reed has come from the era when we would celebrate actors for being drunk in antics, you know. I mean, look how desperate Samantha Egger is. There's no way, even after you know the ending, there's no way to fear her. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that that's the one thing about this movie. You know... And the way that Cronenberg presents this, and you have to also realize what he's going through emotionally while he's doing this. Uh, he's pretty equal in the way he treats everyone. Like the song said, Carl, there ain't no good guys, there ain't no bad guys, they're just you and me and we just disagree. Exactly. See, even Oliver Reed and her know why he's doing what the main guy's doing, and they agree with him. Yeah. Even she knows that he's full of shit right there. Yeah. But how hard is it when someone's, when you're that close to someone to tell them that they're really, you're full of shit? Hey, Steven, you're full of shit. Yeah, I'm the first one to say that, though. (laughs) But you know what I mean. When you're in a romantic, exactly kind of romantic father, daughter, son, symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. Parasitic relationship, too. She's using yeah. him as father figure she never had. And he's using her as the major proof of the, of the use of his uh, experimental techniques. Right. And he's using her. And, and and everybody uses everybody. You know, it's, yeah, what's he saying it right there? Things. He knows what's going on, but he won't admit that it's happening because, you know, because it's to his benefit that it is. Yeah. But look at her. It's, I mean, yeah. there's no question in my mind, this is the role of her lifetime. Oh, no and question. she didn't get the credit she deserved for it because 
It's a horror movie. Fucking shitty trash film. Now this, um, and this shows another things. bad thing, too. What? Him picking and choosing what parts of the abuse that he's going to uh, show. You know what I mean? Yep. But then all we hear is their point of view, the story that they want to spin. Right. And look how casual they're talking about the funeral in front of that little girl. Good God. Yep. Right there is the shot. No. Now, I don't know who this girl's parents were, but they had to sign off on this movie. And I don't think I could sign off with my kid on this film. Don't think it would happen. Yeah. Seriously. You know, one of the things that, that reminds me, I, I don't know if you ever uh, uh, really checked out comics, but Pogo has a great uh, thing, uh, quote. As we have met the enemy and they is us. Yeah, we have met the and enemy I think and they that is us. really, really has something to do with this film. Because everybody screws up. <laughs> and there's the red motif again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, might as well give a nice shout-out to Carol Spire, who has been uh, David Cronenberg's yeah. uh, production uh, designer ever since this movie, on to everything he's ever done. His daughter, by the way, uh, is Denise Cronenberg, uh, and she is the one that uh, this movie is about. Yeah. Do you remember? Let's see. Let me see the face. Yes, it is. Do you remember he played the same role in a, in Scanners Two, basically? Yes. Yeah. Oh, this guy. I love this guy. What this I mean is a, he played the same guy who was uh, already, you know. Right. Two victims of two bad fathers. Mm -hmm. This is Robert Silverman, this actor. And he's wonderful. Didn't do a lot of acting. The last thing he did was 2004.
But he's in a rabbit. He's in the brood. He's in scanners. He's in naked lunch. Existence. Yes, he's the Moroccan dealer. Yeah. Now, if this that movie ever pops up on Criterion, we're definitely doing that one. What, Existence? No. Naked Lunch. Oh, yeah. See, the body in revolt. Yeah. I mentioned that earlier. Only in the 70s would they be a company smart enough to take material like this and beautifully package it and sell it honestly. And put it out to the theaters, and it be a bit, and it be a decent hit. Right, Carl. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry, but I'm watching this scene because I love this actor. Oh yeah, he is great. He's great, basically portraying the same role in uh, Scanners too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt, Carl. Psychotronic <laughs> thing. Cause cancer. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I just want is God in show business, too. But that's me. Oh, that's already out on a t-shirt. We just haven't bought it yet. <laughs> And there, and I wonder if that's the, an intentional him filming there that the psychoplasmic uh, clinic is at the same place as the Keloid clinic was uh, in Crimes of the Future. A lot of it has to do with McGill University and McGill University uh, uh, buildings. Uh, I know, but is it a, ever really that simple with? Uh, Cronenberg. 
Yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, I could see that. Uh, uh, Raglan carrying on the experiments of Kelloid that was he that didn't stop, but he just abandoned at the end of Crimes of the Future, which is on the package for this if you look it up on the streaming. And he did. Did you notice what words he called him? I love that. Yeah. He didn't call him a motherfucking. He didn't call him a no good. He called him ignorant. Which he really is. Yeah. And that's why I would say that's the Kelly Clint, because like I Cronenberg always has these choices of words, of phrases that mean a lot more than you would think if you're just casually looking or listening. Yeah. Like uh, existence and exist. What is it? Existence and existential. Is the two companies well, in that? In yeah. existence, existence, and no existence and transcend or existential transcendentation. Right, exactly. Oh, there's the twin thing. And I love it's in a, shape, a type of old, it looks like an old Shakespearean uh, theater that they were sitting in. Mm-hmm. And how does that line really fit? Oh, yeah. Right, here's Cronenberg nailing his own ass to the cross. Yep. And from looking for the movie that's coming out this year that you want to see, I think his kids turned out all right. Uh, Are you talking Brandon? Yeah. (laughs) What is Brandon's new film? Anthony Bible, I've really enjoyed yeah, he has a new one coming out this year. I forget the title, but he has a new one coming out. Well, he's inherited his father's obsessions, that's for sure. Absolutely. And, I, and again, right when something horrible is going to happen, what shows up?
Notice there's a shape of rage again. Yeah. And that's the actual title page and cover of of the Canadian version of that book. Uh, The American version that I have has a picture of Cronenberg on it. Is it the one of him uh, ripping half of his face off? Uh, yeah, it's not half his face, but yes. Yeah. It's like a page tear. And, uh, Stephen Bissett, friend of the show, and people, guy, and writer for Wings Chop, who wrote Swamp Thing and other comics in the 80s, has a book on The Brood coming out. Nice. I love how blocky and inhuman that outline looks. It looks more like a bizarre art installation than a... Yeah, like uh, Picasso. Yeah. McDonald's! Hey, there's where he filmed Rabbit! I also look at the camera angle. Camera angle is amazing. You know, the funny thing is, this doesn't feel like a horror movie, and I would argue that it's not. Okay? I would argue this is all about inner turmoil and, and guilt. And all this that is just so exposed that it becomes horrific. Well, it's like the poster says. This is a movie about inner horror, not ultra horror. Right. Like, is there any real horror in The Changeling? It's creepy as fuck. Yeah, well, so is this. Yeah. This is more disturbing than creepy. Yeah. Here's a little bit. Well, that's one of the nice things about the horror genre is you can talk about things easier. 
then you can talk about it in a drama, about action, you know. Right. Oh, no, you're absolutely right about that. Throw a little blood and add a little monster, and you can talk about the real ugliness of the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Except that with this, Cronenberg didn't add the sugar. No. Not by a long shot. Oh, cool monster moment. There isn't any. And this is rated PG-13? No, R. Okay, this is the R version. Okay. This is the unrated version. The R-rated version. And did you notice the monsters didn't have any face at all? Right. This is the unrated version because they had cuts to this when they brought it over to the U.S. Like I said, I've never seen the R-rated version to compare. I've only seen the unrated version. Because this is another one as soon as Because as soon as it hit VHS, it was the unrated cut. Cronenberg was one of the first directors to have director's cut on VHS. Nice. And he deserves it, too. Yeah, They Came Within was uncut when it came out. Videodrome, basically, if you have you ever seen the, well, you've seen the videotape to it. Oh, yeah. Where the back is basically, hey, we fucked up when we cut this movie. We're fucking sorry. Here's the uncut version. (laughs) It doesn't say those words, but isn't that what it says (laughs) in terminology? And those little noises and everything. By the way, you know who that is, don't you? Who? That's Felix Silva. Oh, I don't know how that name popped in my head. That's worth thinking of Felix De Silva. Yeah. How bizarre does that sound? We were spending our time looking for an Estonian musician. I like it. <laughs> that's a that's a very Kronbergian joke. 
Yes. Absolutely. I'm fucked up. What I'm gonna do? Oh, get a sm- And you wonder why Carl smoked? <laughs> I mean, really? I was talking the 70s, kid. Yeah, you wanna be badass? What do you do? You smoke. You wanna get pussy? What do you do? You smoke. You wanna be Elliot Gould? You smoke. And you lose your fucking cat. (laughs) (laughs) If you go and... God, that's a disturbing little dummy. And that lighting. Yeah. That weird shade of purple. Yes, well, it looks like sepia. Then he throws stuff at you that 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 
are the big details that you you miss all this stuff because you're looking for the head explosion <laughs> or whatever else. Well, you remember he's always said that he regretted the head explosion in Scanners because that took over the whole fucking movie. Right. And really it did. Do you remember that scene at the end of From Beyond when Pretorius and Tillinghast are fighting each other and they're like two creatures melded into one? Yeah. That's how Cronenberg wanted to do the ending of Scanners, but he didn't have the budget and the technology to do it back then. Right. Because that that body meld at the end of the film was kind of freaking hard to understand. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it worked, but you have to watch it like at least a couple of times. Because Ironside and the lead voice are too similar. Right. Now let's come on. Let's not say the lead. Let's give him credit. That's Stephen Lack. He's been on the show. Well, I forgot his name. You know me and my brain farts. Yeah, oh, I have them too. Trust me, Stephen. And I love that she didn't tell him that his wife called. He's always two steps behind. And that's why you're supposed to feel sorry for him. You know what I mean? Yep. How many people would make creatures out of nothing but then forget to not put a belly button on it? Yep. It's like how many times have you seen Adam and Eve in the movies? I have belly buttons. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. (laughs) And here he makes the biggest mistake. Because he says that the creature is dead. Well, that creature is dead. But the movie's called The Brood, so it's not just one. Yeah, and what? And that? And that? And that? And that title has well, that word has two different meanings. One is a brood or a family. Right. And the second meaning of the word brood. Is to overthink and obsess on an idea. You brood on it. Right, exactly. And don't think he doesn't know that. And he's not playing oh, with both those definitions. It's like I said earlier. You're talking about a guy who uh, had Existence and Transcends as two company titles in the movie Existence. And it goes into existential transcendentalization, which means... If everything is real and nothing, then nothing is real. And if nothing is real, then everything is real. 
And soma is another word for dream, too. The Dream Free Institute of Psychoplasmics. Mm -hmm. And there's no fat in this movie, too, because we're pretty much headed barrel ways towards the ending now. Yes, we are. This may be, tell me if I'm wrong, Cronenberg's shortest movie. Um, a lot of them are in the same, uh, the early ones. Uh, Shivers is, is, is just over 90 minutes, too. Yeah, this is one hour and 31 minutes, I think. No, uh, let's see, uh, Rabbit is 95 minutes. Right. And I don't know how long Shivers is. Hold on, I can, I can tell you. Okay. This is not a problem. Hold on, I, I gotta get over to David Cronenberg. Let me say. Shivers is an hour and 27 minutes. Okay, then Shivers is the shortest film. Right. And did you know, I love the fact that, well, he's gay. Right. And by the way, Fast Company is an hour and 31 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Scanners, I think, is his first close to two-hour film, but I can check that in a second. One hour, 43 minutes. One hour, 43, yeah. That's his first uh, close to two-hour film. And Videodrome, at least in the original cut, not the elongated cut, was 87 minutes, but that was fucking Yeah, the uncut is 87 minutes. The cut is 82 minutes. Okay. Because, see, look, everyone who's lost control like him in this movie, he's another one that's wearing the baggy yep. clothes. Mm-hmm. I love that he uses the word addicted. Yes, instead absolutely. Instead of the word that might get him more shit. And isn't that sad that that word would give him more shit than the word addicted. Yeah, I agree. And that word is love. And even he is, you know, Mm -hmm. fey, as they say. I didn't mean...
that's the closest they ever come to admitting that they have a thing going on, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, God. We're getting close. You're going to have to get me through this one scene. And right now, this scene here does not make any fucking sense until you've watched it the second time. Right. And then it makes complete sense, which is, and I hope you watch the movie first, he's trying to figure out how the little bastards are getting out. Because how confusing was this scene to you the first time you seen it? Yeah. They're like, why didn't he just unlock the door and walk in? Okay, now... Oh, is this the scene you're talking about? Exactly. This one is is rough for me. Yeah. Well, this is supposed to be the roughest killing in the whole movie. It's not the killing I'm talking about. No, I know what you're talking about. No, no, the killing is barely not even shown on screen, I think. Yeah. And this is really what we're not really dealing with right now. Which is the scars that going through this is putting on our little ones, seeing us scared shitless, not being able to go out, watching the news and all they tell us is y'all gonna die if you take one step yep. outside the house y'all gonna die this like how many horror films have you seen where people in it go through this devastating experiences but they never deal with the aftershocks. This movie is 200% about the aftershocks. Oh, absolutely. And he doesn't pick easy to kill weapons in this movie. No, he doesn't. No, no. But showing this, the looks on the kids' faces, 
and those noises. Oh, yeah. It's not what you see that makes this scene horrible. No. It's hearing them and knowing that... They're going to live with this all their lives. This does not go away. What did that say? What What did that paper say? I missed it. We plant pumpkin seeds. Yeah. Take the word pumpkin, and what does that really go into, really mean? Well, this is all about the seeds of abuse. Yeah, we plant the seeds that grow when we're adults by our actions towards the children when they are young. See, he's trying to take control again, but he's still got the big, baggy sweater. Mm-hmm. He's got the control colors, but he doesn't have the control clothes, if that makes no. any sense. No, it does, actually. He's already figured out what's going on, but it's too. He figured out too late. Yep. Or do you think he's still clouded by his ambitions and love for her? Right. It's kind of sucks that this movie's already over because this has been one of our most fucking interesting intellectual conversations we ever had. <laughs> Don't you? Think? Well, we're getting good at this, Stephen. We're getting good at this. It's the material. Oh, absolutely. Look how isolating that room... Hey, Lovecraft Angle! Lovecraft Angle! Lovecraft Angle! Do you understand why I'm saying that? Oh, the hell yeah. What a Lovecraft Angle is, is he describes it... It's the rats in the walls, right? Right. It's an angle in your house that's normal, but if you look at it, it's not quite normal. But you can't put your finger on it. Oh, and look. Look at the picture behind him. Yep. The Virgin Mother Mary. And what's the name of Samantha Egger's character? Nola. Nola, but still, isn't she the virgin mother? Mm, You could argue it. Well, by the ways that her uh, her brood is born. Them leading her. Absolutely, just absolutely freaks me the fuck out. Yeah, but it's still sweet. They're like, that's the only scene you get to see them as a family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the only normal family moment in this whole damn movie. Yep. Now, how mucked up is that? Oh, it is. You made coffee back in those caveman days like that, Carl? Oh, hell yeah. I have missed a coffee. 
Folks, I, 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 I give me two sticks like and I'll make coffee. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I so fucking literally. Uganda favorite mediation. Killer dwarves. Why did he not go to the Psychoplasmics Institute immediately? I don't know. Wouldn't have took me that fucking much to get my ass out there. No. And in a way, Cronen, I wonder if Cronenberg does that in a way that you fucking don't like him at the slut part of the movie because of how bad he fucks up. <laughs> yeah. No, you know? I don't think there's any question about that. There's a reason he doesn't talk about this film. This is this is a primal scream, this film. It's a primal yeah. scream on what happened, that I did it fucking wrong. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's no question about this. This is his easiest... One of his, no, this is his easiest to analyze film. So, in a way, he doesn't have to speak about it because it's here. Everything is all out in the open. You just have to... Well, if you're watching this as a 20-year-old or a kid, some of these things probably... It's like I said about possession. There's two times you watch it. Once before you get divorced and it's just a weird movie. And then there's second after you've gone through an ugly breakup, and then the movie makes complete fucking sense. Yep. There's things in this movie would not make sense to a single person who's just starting life and doesn't know the damages, hasn't caused any damage or had any damage caused to them yet. Mm -hmm. But once you go back after that, then you did it. Yep. You notice for as great as he is, he's only in this movie for maybe 10 minutes total. 10, 15 minutes total. Same with Samantha Edgar, too. What? It's not his story. 
It's Art Hindle's story. You look how feminine Ra- Oliver Reed has become in this scene. Yeah. What? No, no, I agree. I love this. You, what would you expect in any other movie? I've got a gun. Fuck you. I'm sorry, but fuck you for that line. Yeah. <laughs> Another message from the fuck you normals from disabled people society. <laughs> How much did that really start coming out in the 80s, children of rage? Oh, absolutely, and it had a lot to do with this. This is 79. Yeah, and Children of Abuse. Absolutely. It's sad that I wasn't even 20 years fucking old, and I'm just 50, when we really started to admit the damage. That abuse culture caused. Oh, absolutely. And, and... You know, I, I didn't go through, you know, my family was verbally somewhat abusive, but my abuse happened outside the family. Uh, and and trust me, I got this movie. I was 21 when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. I got it. Trust me. I knew exactly and I love how he switches up the mad doctor trope in this scene. In every yeah. other one, I've got a gun. You're not taking your blame, bam, 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 you know. Yeah. And look how Oliver Reed's character really transforms in that. You know. And you notice he's getting quieter and quieter. The more the truth he lets mm-hmm. out, it's like air escaping his body. Yeah, exactly. And you start seeing fear in his eyes. This is run smooth as crap. I haven't had one issue with this. Oh no, and, and, and the the, the uh, transfer is absolutely fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Here comes a scene that most everybody is really obsessed with. 
And look at this. You get to see your knee now. Oh, you get to see your leg there. I love how how painfully slow is this reveal. Oh, oh, absolutely. And it's so slow and subtle that you don't even know it's a reveal. No. Bravo to whoever shot this movie. And this is the real, you know, this is the money shot. This is this is <coughs> as far as anyone takes a look at this film, it's the money shot. It's what everyone remembers. But up until this, it's it, it this is a flawless film. Seriously. There is no flaws in this movie. No. Besides the characters. Look yeah. your first full shot of her in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I love that way he jerks up. He can... Right. The angrier he gets, the more active they get. They get, exactly. Children of Rage. It's and he does a wonderful job. Too late. Oh, this everybody has a bad idea when it's TFL. Mm-hmm. Too freaking late. He's lost all control and power of his life, and she's... And I did that nervous rocking when I was a kid, too, so I know that. Oh, I did, too. You ain't got the knees for it. weird as this is that this scene right here, which is supposed to be scaring the shit out of you, shows the most normal, some of the most normal familial images there is. And how normal and suburban is that wood paneling back there? And that bookcase? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then this is called Go All the Way. I want to go with you. Go through it. And I love those, the way she says that, don't you? He's dumbstruck. And yes, Cronenberg, it is said, didn't let him see what was going to be under the robes until she did that. Right. 
And look how stone and stationary they are. What other how do we know of? Uh, well, of course, we've got how of the computer. Who was corrupted by a bad by bad fathers? Yeah. This right here was cut in the U.S. version, and this was Samantha Egger's idea. Yeah. She figured, what would she do once she birthed one of the babies? And she said, what do animals do when their babies are born? They clean. And imagine how it must have looked with an extreme close-up, just showing her mouth going on the baby, like, you know. That. (laughs) Yeah, you don't see the licking in the U.S. version. It it just focuses on an extreme close-up of her. And really, how mothering is it what she's doing? It's very mothering. during this. This is perfect, isn't it? In a just world, she would have gotten nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. Wouldn't you say? Yep. And how disturbing is it when he shoots the little kid? I love her. Mm. And then he cuts back to her reaction. It's all about her reactions to the violence, not the violence. Right. This movie is aged better than the last time I seen it back in 2000. What do you think, Carl? I I'm sorry. I was I was so intent on the film. Repeat, please. This movie has aged well. Oh, absolutely. Oh. 
wasn't this the first movie where he got like real glowing mainstream critic reviews? Yeah. This is a movie I wouldn't put in only in the 70s. I would put it as only David Cronenberg could do a movie this outrageous and this subtle. And how? who's the ugly one here? Her with the baby or him for just strangling her? What has she done to him, really? But she's a but she's letting her rage kill her daughter too. Yeah, uh, but still. I after. And he's letting his rage out too. You notice in this oh, movie, totally. anytime anyone lets their anger out, it's bad. Yeah. Because now he's just a low-life murdering piece of shit. There's no sense of righteous. And isn't that how uh, Death Wish was originally supposed to be? Yeah, there's no righteousness. Once you're a low-life murdering piece of shit, murder is some murder's murder, as they say. By one act of anger, look how many people he's killed. Yeah. Or her parents have killed. Yeah. And any director would have stopped with this shot, wouldn't they? Any other director would have stopped with this shot. Well, actually, wait a second, and would have stopped with her holding him and into yeah, the car. Yeah, that's what, well, yeah, right here. They would have stopped with this, him rescuing his daughter and his daughter getting a chance for a normal life, you know. Right. Well, right here is where they would have stopped it. Exactly. And they wouldn't have let her have the shell shock looked on her face. No. Right here was where they had stopped it. Yep. But not Cronenberg. No. He's got to live with his actions, and she's got to live with what she's seen. Yeah, right here. This kills me. And they're weeping. Uh Uh-huh. 
The waltz have started. God bless. Wow. God, that is a so good. Seriously. Such a great film. So we broke our Cronenberg cherry to say. Yes, we did. And the reason we picked this, honestly, is that it was available. We didn't even know how this movie would affect us, because this has been one we've watched before, but we came in here trepidatious. <laughs> yeah, this is not something, this is not a movie you watch, and oh, I'm so happy to watch it. Let's watch it next week. No. <laughs> yeah. And actually, this is the kind of film that was probably needed. Now, you know, this has more importance nowadays because parents, you need to really take care of your kids' minds nowadays. Because I don't even like bothering watching the news because all they want to do is scare the shit out of us and say, y'all going to die. What? Yeah. And if you're there, with it, it comes with The Brood, uh, Bill Hader on The Brood, Birth Trains, Crimes of the Future, and just all sorts of extras. It's the same as their DVD. I mean, I feel kind of bad I hadn't picked this up before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, setup. By the way, we've got... Uh... 60 seconds before, before we go into We're going, time. probably going to go like five minutes over time wrapping this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're 60 seconds into uh, before overtime. So anyway, yeah. Stephen, uh, it, it, it's such a well-done film. Um, really is, and the pacing is really well done. The acting, every everyone does a great job on this. And they're not actors, you know, I mean, we know Oliver Reed, uh, and we know Samantha Egger, and maybe a couple of people might know Art Hindle, but, but these aren't well-known actors, but, but he always, he's an actor's director. Everyone seems to do their best with him. Seriously. And sadly, this is the first time I've seen a DVD with any extras at all. Because before this, all we had was the MGM, and did they even have a trailer on it? No. The MGM did not have a trailer. Nope. Not at all. Yeah, thank you for listening, and for our first endeavor in a Criterion channel, I think it came off with aces. I didn't have, we didn't have any of the YouTube problems. Nope, we did not. We got to watch a higher uh, snobbery, I mean, quality type type of film. <laughs> well, both. So if anyone considers can watching a Cronenberg film, a 
being a horror, a, horror, a horror snob or an art film snob, then you really haven't watched a Cronenberg film. <laughs> exactly. You know, imagine, just, just think about this for a second. You're in the 70s, and, and you know, you, you're you going through things like uh, The Exorcist and so on and so forth, and you're starting to really push envelopes. And then all of a sudden, there's shivers. And then there's rabbit. And there's and these are, are, are completely different. You know, it, it, seriously, it, a whole new mind had come into the horror and, and changed horror uh, dramatically because we call it body horror. We call it body horror because of Cronenberg. Just like zombies, you know, changed when George Romero came in. I mean, it's that type of change. And to be able to have witnessed that firsthand in the 70s when I was like 15 years old is an amazing thing. Yeah. Seriously. And look at the best film that won at the Oscars this year. What was it? The Parasite. No. That year, 1979. Oh, I, I, oh that year. Uh, I don't know. Kramer versus Kramer. This is Kramer, right. Yeah, Which and he said, most... even said that this is his version of Kramer versus Kramer. No, Kramer versus that. Kramer is a pussy-fied version of this movie. This, I think even Roger Ebert said in his review, The Brood is the more honest version of the story. Yeah. Yeah, because there's no, no, no one's completely bad and no one's completely good and they all fucked up badly. Seriously. And it didn't have a cop-out ending unlike Kramer versus Kramer. Right, exactly. But then again, Kramer versus Kramer leaned on the father as the good guy. I'm just trying to take care of my kid here. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and of course, you know, the, the father is the more sympathetic character here. But you also see where he fucks up royally. Oh, God, and he makes yeah. no bones about it. Well, you've seen how pissed off, was, pissed off I was with him in this last final act. Absolutely. He knew where to go, and he knew what was going on, but he went home and made fucking coffee. <laughs> yep. Well, Sunday we're going to be talking about the one thing that there's a lot of people jonesing for, like a crack fiend wanting their dope. Okay. And what is that? And that is sports. Oh, we're doing the sports? Nice. Yeah, when ESPN are showing reruns of WrestleMania 30 from back in 1920, and we're and when it hit this coronavirus hit, we got to watch the NCAA tournament from 1999. Y'all some crack fiending motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk sports movies, and next week we probably will do a sports movie. What was the one you wanted to do, Carl? Uh, there's only one I want to do. 
What? We've already done it, actually. North no, Alcourt, course, yeah, North but North. you said you had one you wanted to do. I, yeah, I did, and I can't remember. Shit. I'll find one. Yeah, we'll figure it That's out. But, yeah, Sunday we're going to be talking about sports movies. And like I said, next month is going to be the big Criterion Foursome where we do those four movies. Uh, Vicki Love will be joining us on Red Sun and The Man Who Fell to Earth. Like, uh, Vicki Love ain't going to show up with a... I was like, I'm picking The Man Who Fell to Earth. And I was like, David Bowie? Science fiction? I want to live? Okay, I got to ask you. <laughs> No seriousness. That would have devastated her if we would have done a science fiction David Bowie film with her. You know, and the right. other thing is, is yeah, and, and Red Sun, her her mom is uh, loves westerns, and and actually we have seen that movie together. She likes Red Sun, so so yeah, uh, she's going to join us for that too. Yeah. And then hopefully Tony will, will join us for a performance, right? Yeah. And I will find and someone. You see if you can get us with the third for a shampoo. I will. I will. I'll find us a third. That isn't a problem. To me, that's right. unique. For me, I'm like cross-picking that. And I may joke about he loves his Hal Ashby, but still. <laughs> I that's love my Hal Ashby. Yeah. It's like, what? Absolutely. And there are other reasons I love that movie, and uh, uh, I'll explain that when we get to that scene. Anyway. <laughs> and that's what we'll probably be doing with the Criterion Channel is really challenging ourselves to go outside of our safe zones. Agreed. Agreed. And, and and the thing is, that's the one nice thing I do have to say about the Criterion Channel. Trust me, you want to go outside your safe zone and be assured that that it's a good movie. That's exactly what the Criterion Channel is. You can you know, see I things mean, like Kurosawa films. You can see things like three. Well, yeah, three of the top midnight movies, which is. John Waters' uh, Multiple Maniacs, The Harder They Come, and Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. You can watch emotionally challenging and devastating films like Come and See. You can watch, well, shit like Berlin Alexanderplatz, which if we ever decide to do that, someone shoot us. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we're not doing Berlin Alexander. Hey, Carl, we're going to do Berlin Alexander plants all in a row. Carl? Hello? <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now the show is over. It is time for us to go off the air and play our national anthem. Oh, so- Stephen, I lost it. I'm sorry. I'd have to. Are you are you in? Yeah. Or not? You go yeah. ahead and do it because I I I uh, inadvertently uh, cut everything off. I'm sorry. Oh, don't worry about it. If you cut everything off, then we're both off. I think. Well, it hasn't said we're off. 
me well, I, I've been off for years. You already know that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I did. So, and I can't get back on because we're we're in overtime. Okay, so, well, there we're, you go. Sorry about that, we're out. Yeah, don't worry. That that really did come off fucking good. Yes, it did. Listen, uh, uh, for people, thank you very, very much for, for having me uh, on this particular watch, Stephen. And and uh, we're going to do a lot more uh, in April. I hope everyone comes and uh, and uh, watches with us, and uh, we we entertain them. There you go. Again, thank okay, you. Okay. Good night. Stephen, I really appreciate it. Good night, everyone.